0: i think about uh, the impulse in our culture to emphasize the individual we talk about individual achievement you know so much and that's admirable the spark of a genius to envision a possibility is very exciting however in order to bring that uh, idea that concept to fruition it, it really takes a, a village. It takes a community. And that's the normal site or situation for creative breakthrough.
1: Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person and do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my true life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically. So your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to the Ziegler show, I invite you to visit Ziegler.com. Connect with Tom Ziegler and the Ziegler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best – Mastermind groups are so popular, but so is dissatisfaction with them. I mean, The benefit is peers coming together to provide support and counsel to each other and to do so effectively requires trust and structure and some good facilitating. Well, Diana Pavlak Glyer has intimately researched one of the most successful and well-known mastermind groups of all time, which interestingly did not at all call and maybe didn't even consider itself as such. It was the Inklings. The Inklings are an infamous group of authors who came together in the 1930s. They were headlined by C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, from which we got the Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings. At face value, they had informal gatherings over 14 years at Magdalen College in Oxford and a local pub. But as Diana uncovers in her book, Bandersnatch, What you'll see is these men were intrinsically involved in each other's work and not only spurred each other on, but actually sparred with each other to make their works the great works that they became at the end. Diana greatly dispels what she refers to as the myth of the solitary genius. The charge and takeaway from this conversation is the opportunity and great benefit we can derive from investing in others' pursuits. But not simply for their reciprocity, but what we directly receive from devoting attention to the endeavors of others, of our peers. I was so convicted by Diana's research and benefit. I've put together my own new mastermind called the Driven Council. Uh, You can find it. Check it out at drivencouncil.com, even if you just want to audit and see how I'm uh, formulating that. But the point is coming together to help each other on what we are most striving to progress in in our work. Diana, where I wanted to start off with is actually content I got from you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. We've all been hurt by the myth of the solitary genius, the false notion that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and just work harder to make things happen. The truth, the natural rhythms of innovation and productivity work best when people learn to work together. And I believe that there are seven essential kinds of feedback we all need in order to be successful for the long haul. But that right there, the solitary genius, I mean, my gosh, we've got movies and you know yeah. stories uh, about that. And yet here you are showing us these great works that came from great collaboration. And it's uh, it's a stark difference But you see in our culture right now, we're, you know, we're we're more isolated than ever. And I, well, that's why you're here calling us to what the power and the opportunity of collaboration.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin. Um, I think about uh, the impulse in our culture to emphasize the individual. We talk about individual achievement, you know, so much, and that's admirable. The spark of a genius to envision a possibility is very exciting. However, in order to bring that uh, idea, that concept to fruition, it it really takes a, a village. It takes a community and that's the normal site or situation for creative breakthrough. And this was a discovery that surprised me, honestly, because like everyone else, I was kind of steeped in this myth of the solitary genius that uh, if there was going to be a breakthrough, if there was going to be an accomplishment, I just had to like try harder, grit my teeth and press on. But the more I studied real innovation, the more I saw that while we focus on the front person behind that person and surrounding that person and sustaining that person is a whole host of individuals who help them on their way. When, when you think about, uh, let's just talk about movies for a minute. When you watch a movie at the end of the film, they have these long lists of credits and some of them are major players and some of them are minor players. There's the, you know, the stars of the show, but there's the animal trainers and the people who provide food in the trailers. But we have a concept for a film that a film is inherently something that people create together and each person playing a part uh, shapes the ultimate uh, product of that. When you look at a book, there's often an acknowledgments page. And, you know, Kevin, think about this. How many times have you read in an acknowledgement page somebody saying something like, without these people, this book never would have been possible? We believe it for a movie, but we don't believe it for a book. Expand even further. Think about things like technological innovations. Think about successful businesses. Think about inventions Um, Uh, Thomas Edison and the light bulb, right? We picture Thomas Edison sitting at his desk, you know, uh, working at that table, experiment after experiment. No, he's part of an entire industry. He's got uh, 50 or 60 guys working round the clock and he's overseeing all of this expertise. And he's like the Director of an orchestra, the conductor of an orchestra, bringing innovation uh, together and allowing one genius to bounce off of another in order to get that breakthrough that he longed for.
1: And that right there, Diana, the the one genius to another, is what interests me most in this because I, you know, I think we talk a lot about hey, you've got a business you're you're running or an endeavor, an initiative that you're spearheading, and now you need people to support that. You need teammates, you need vendors, you need all these resources to support you. But then I also feel like what you have brought us to, and you did so in this uh, in this book, Bandersnatch, is that it was more the, the genius, though. You as a spearhead, can you get together with other people spearheading their own things that are not officially part of your exact business or team, they had their own thing going. That's what really enamored me in all yeah. honesty.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that um, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and their friendship provides such a rich illustration of this of this kind of principle. We need other people to bring out the best in us. And that process is exponential, right? One plus one isn't two when it comes to collaboration. One plus one is 10, right? It just multiplies the ways that we bring out different facets of ourselves and the way that we can challenge and encourage and support one another, right? Both the positive and the negative, as well as sort of pooling our resources. You know, there are two characteristics of great collaborators, One of them is that people are passionate about the same ideas. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The second one is that they bring different perspectives, talents, and personalities to that task. Think about it. You don't need a duplication. You don't need a carbon copy. You don't need two of you. What you need is somebody who cares profoundly about the same things that you care about and also who comes at it from a different angle, who can cover your blind spots, right? Who can challenge you when you get off course, but who can also resonate. It's one of my favorite words when we talk about collaboration. We need resonators, people who see the good in us that we don't see and who call it forth in so many different ways.
1: And that's what I want to dig into, but I did want to hit on that. I actually had notes on that, those two things, somebody that's passionate. So, so for me, I'm wanting to surround myself. I want to connect with peers who are passionate about what I am. Okay. That makes sense. Now, over here though, you're saying, and they provide some diverse perspectives. And that one, again, Diana, I don't see that happening as much. I mean, we're in a culture right now. We are so, it feels like we are so enamored with, drawn toward, attracted to confirmation bias. We desperately want yes. people who confirm our bias. I think that's what social media thrives on is I want to find that mean, that quote, that whatever that confirms. Cause I'm so, it's almost like an insecurity. I so want the security and I want to, I want to preach as opposed to the confidence to come over here. And am I willing to set this out and have somebody look at it? Who's going to look from a different side of the mountain, uh, for instance, and push back a little bit. That's what feels, that's what feels uncommon. And I, and I honestly feel like that's even uncommon in the popularity of mastermind groups, which is again, what really enamored me with your book of showing that this wasn't just a, it wasn't just an encouragement platform. Now they did that. Yeah. Well, I'll give that to you. They did that, but what?
0: They, they, did that, but they also challenged and contradicted one another constantly. And, um, you know, you get, you get to do that when you create within a mastermind group or a small group setting, you have to create a certain level of trust, right? right? So some people will say, well, the key to a good group is that you balance the positive and the negative. And I, my research doesn't, doesn't actually support that attitude right huh. you think about what we uh, the the sandwich technique for critique right so i say to you something very positive and then i say but here's this bad thing and then i sandwich it by ending with something positive right. the problem is we see that coming from a mile away And it doesn't feel authentic when we play games like that. Here's what I know from my study of the Inklings, more than 40 years of studying their interaction. And that's that we are willing to take almost any level of confrontation if we believe in our bones that that person has our best interest in mind. Right. Think about that. When someone is coming alongside and they're sniping at you and you, you sense a kind of almost a competition or a kind of needing to like like knock you down a few pegs. It doesn't matter how good their advice is and it doesn't matter how gently they may present it. You won't take what they have to say. However, that person who over time by spending time together, you've come to trust really is invested in your success, has sacrificially devoted themselves to your highest good Right. That person can come to you and say, hey, you are out of line, bud. And you're like, tell me, help me. Right. Rescue me. And um, not only (laughs) uh, diagnose what's off, but more importantly, give me a path forward make a suggestion or two so that I can get some traction to get myself out of this hole, right? And that's how good challenge takes place. First, the assumption that this person really is Mm -hmm. on your side, believes great things for you. But second, okay, I know that I have that problem. I know that I have that shortfall, that struggle, that blind spot. Give me some ideas, What could I try as I move forward to try to make a difference here? And that speaks
1: to me, Diana, of again, I'm going to use this word mastermind a a lot just because that's the current context that we generally have in a group of people who have come together decidedly. So usually with some qualifications and generally these days with a filter of payment. You're going to pay, you know, a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or a million dollars. You know, I've, I've heard them (laughs) from all, from all aspects, but it obviously qualifies people. And when they are invested, you expect that they're in there to get value. And there's some accountability in that, that they're not in there. As you said, just to snipe at you, which is what we see on social media, not just to take aim at that, but it is a free opinion fest and you can come off without any accountability, without any qualifications and just shoot your opinion around. And I don't have a whole lot of, uh, bandwidth for that. I want to be over here, you know, with invested people, but Diana, here's, here's the the thing that I found myself literally talking about as a result of your book. So here you've got C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien. You had a lot of people in their characters, but those are the main characters. These guys were, let's just say they were they were busy. They had plenty to accomplish. So if they had whatever amount of time they were going to devote to their vocation today. So today they're going to devote, C.S. Lewis has eight hours outside of the rigmarole of life and work, or, or, or not work, but life and, and maintenance and, and whatever. He's going to devote to work. And what you're showcasing, I'm going to make this up a little bit. He's got eight hours. An hour of that, let's say, he's going to take out And invest in his buddy, Toller's, right? Mm -hmm. And he's going to invest enough to know the guy's work so that when they talk, he can say, okay, you've got this character or this story arc that doesn't make sense. So not only did he read it, he actually invested in that. And in today's world, the easy thing for me to think is, my gosh, I've got this amount of time. Can I afford that hour spent over here, not on my own stuff? And I feel like what you showed us is the, the, the totals equal more than the sum here. I mean, we've got that hour is one of the things that helped C.S. Lewis most. But I don't think we're getting the math. I don't think we understand the math. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm counting myself as well, that I look at that as some altruistic thing of, okay, I'm going to go help my buddy. And I feel yeah. like what you're saying is no, if you want to help yourself, go understand Toller's stuff enough right. to invest in it because it's going to multiply over here in right. your own work. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah. So we we hit these walls right in our own creative work, in our own whatever projects we're working on. We can only get so far on our own steam. And what happens is if we unplug from that charging ahead, trying harder kind of mentality, if we back off and then we start talking with one another, They're actually physiological changes that happen in our brain when we meet face to face with other people. Believe it or not, when I talk to you and I see your face, more of my brain comes online. We're wired this way. God created us, I believe, in a marvelous way for connection. And so I I don't know what I would say is um, for my own life. When I'm working on a book project or an article, you know, I can get so far, but then things get fuzzy or I get tired or I get discouraged. So I have friends that I might call Get together for a coffee date. I have regular folks that I meet with on a scheduled basis, and we sit down and we say, "Hey," uh, and uh, Lynn might say to me, "What are you working on?" and I and I say, "I'm stuck on this thing, and I don't know what to do." And she says, "Well, tell me what you're trying to say," and all of a sudden, the thing that I've been sitting at my desk trying to say for three days just comes popping right out of my mouth, right? All of a sudden, because Lynn and I are together and she's leaning in and says, tell me, tell me what you're trying to accomplish. And there it is, I just, it's as clear as day because I've got a sense of audience, someone who cares genuinely about the message that I have and uh, breakthrough after breakthrough, what I could not accomplish hour after hour, trying on my own, I can accomplish in minutes with the rocket fuel that happens when people connect meaningfully. Now, Lynn and I have a long history. We've talked about various projects, art projects, book projects. She's collaborated with me on a number of things. And I know she's going to be straight with me about what's working and not working. And I also know this about her part of what makes her a great person as a collaborator for me is she asks great questions. Right. And in learning how to ask great questions, you know, that as a podcaster, absolutely key. So she's always asking, well, what do you mean by that? Can you give me an example of that? Can you clarify that term for me? And then my own fuzzy, woolly headed thinking gets revealed for what it is. And I have to bring a new clarity and forcefulness to the kind of message that I have. This happens in community. We help one another as resonators, to go back to that term, to clarify what it is that we're about. So if I could talk for just a second about the the term resonators, because I think it sounds like a fancy term, but it's so simple. Uh, And it's so powerful when we get a hold of it, right? So a resonator uh, is something that amplifies a message. So you think about a guitar or a violin, right? The string of the instrument is making a very gentle sound. What a resonator does, it's the body of the violin, the body of the guitar. It's, It's actually the body of a piano. It's that ability to amplify and enrich the original sound. So we're scared sometimes that by collaborating, I'm going to lose my individuality. No. What happens is the more that we interact with one another, the more we learn how to resonate for one another by asking, what do you mean by that? Can you clarify that for me? And we take what is a A gentle tiny spark of an idea and we fan it into flame for one another and that's what i mean when i say that as resonators we bring out the best the very best of in one another we take what is uh, what is tiny what is gentle what is small and we help to share that with a larger world
1: You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode with Bandersnatch author Diana Pavlak Glyer. I highly recommend her book. And if you want to see, again, how I'm positioning my own Inklings-type mastermind group, you can check it out at drivencouncil.com. I'm wondering, Diana, if it's literally go back to the inkling. So this is what, 1930 to 50, you know, what in, yeah. in that mm-hmm. realm. Okay. 30s so, and 40s. So we go back then. It's not the information age. We don't have computers. We don't right. have access to all this knowledge. So you've got, again, just to pick on those characters, you've got uh, C.S. Lewis over here with whatever new books with maybe a a newspaper from the past week or something like that. You've got Tolkien who has his, you've got the other guys, but it's kind of finite and you could see them coming together in community to say, okay, here's what I read or what have you gotten? And and it's really like, like us going to the internet today. I mean, that's where they went to. So my curiosity pondering is that today we have been lulled into an errant perspective of now we just all have access to all that information. And not that we made the decision, but we kind of took out the humanity of needing somebody Mm -hmm. else's in there. Because if I'm sitting here and I've got an issue, I've got something I'm creating and I'm down in my little cave uh, to create (laughs) my, my brilliance, right? My goodness, I can get any books that I want within sometimes that day, you know, click Amazon, I can go online and I've got the wealth of the world. In in reality, I've got access to it uh, online if I do the right searching and I should be able to glean that information and now extrapolate it uh, or or, uh, uh, embrace it myself and that that's enough. And yet- it's totally different than everything that you just went through that helps you know resonate. and that's somebody understanding me and giving personal feedback. And now we have a well, I don't know. How, how would you say it, Diana? Because it feels like it's a two-way. I need something. I'm going to go online or go to a book or go to this wealth of information and get a response back, a, you know, an answer back. It feels almost, maybe that's it. It feels like a two-way conversation, but it's not. I'm getting information. It's just my voice. I'm the only wisdom in the, in the integer here, and right. I'm totally missing out on somebody like you to go, okay, hear what you're saying. but yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so what I can do by going online is I can get more information, but what I can't do is I can't get more heart, right? I can't get more, Let's use the word courage, right? The word courage comes from the the French word for heart, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're discouraged in a project, you've probably never had this happen, but you're working on something that just doesn't seem to be working at all, just kind of falling apart, and you start to second-guess yourself. You know, you're overthinking it. You're saying, do I even have anything to say? Is there any contribution that I have that's worthwhile? The internet is not going to help you. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yes. Uh, Kindle and Amazon are not going to help you. You need somebody who's in your corner who takes you for a walk. Right. And says, hey, you've been here before. You've gotten past it before. And I really care about partnering with you side by side with whatever it is that you need to get through this to the next level. Right. Um, I remember when I was working on my book, The Company They Keep, which comes before Bandersnatch, and that's the one that took me 23 years to write. That is a long time to work on one research project. you know. And I remember getting so discouraged. Uh, I had publisher after publisher saying, there's nothing new to be said about Lewis or Tolkien, and we don't need another book. And I'm like, yeah, but this is going to be different. This is something that people haven't seen before. And I finally gave up, you know, like didn't just like give up, but gave up. I gave up. I was done. Right. And I was talking to my friend, Joe, and I said, you know what? I've been at this for uh, nearly 20 years and nobody's interested. And uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just done getting up every morning and working on this thing. And he says, um, you know what? You are not, you just run out of hope. Mm-hmm. And here's what I will do for you. I will hold hope for you until you can hold it for yourself. Now, that's hard. That's somebody who has faith. And I was like, Joe, I can't see it. He said, that's all right. You don't have to see it. Just trust me. I'll hold hope for you until you can hold it for yourself and we need people like that because the creative work that we do whether that's starting a business or pastoring a ministry or writing an article for a scholarly journal it doesn't matter what it is it's very hard for us to hold hope for ourselves we need other people who are part of our world who can encourage us Encourager is another category yeah. that I think is really important. And the encourager doesn't say your work is good, that's praise. The encourager says you have what it takes. And then look again at that word, encourage, to put courage into us. We need to learn how to do that for one another as we encourage one another.
1: Well, in that, so in the encouragement, you had a place in the book where you talked about it was C.S. Lewis in regards to Tolkien and him. It was such a great way of saying, I think you said it was tallers. You can do better or there's, yes. there, or there's more. That's uh, right. And to me, it was the spurring on. That's always yes. been, cause again, it, it, it's hard to do. It's gotta be with somebody <laughs> you trust. Yes. Cause it's, it wasn't a going, it wasn't just saying, Hey, I, I read this and I don't think it's good or, right. Um, it, you know, doesn't hold water or even not saying it's just not enough, but man, I think you've even got more in you to spur you on is, well, like you said, there's gotta be trust there, but I don't feel many of us. I even did a survey recently and I don't know what the percentage is. I could try to pull something out of the sky, but I don't know many people who have someone in their life who would actually be at that level of relationship to spur them on, which is then we're only left again to our own faith in ourselves, which I, I I can't see that we have the capacity to have as much faith in ourselves as what is possible. It just innately we don't have it in us.
0: Yeah, I love that example of, uh, of Lewis and Tolkien, because when you think about these two Oxford professors, right, these geniuses getting together to critique one another's work. We think about the critique process. It must be one where, you know, they're going down into the nitty gritty of the details of the phrasing and they're giving each other that kind of criticism of the manuscript. But what they did more than that, they did that. They absolutely did that. They niggled and argued about word choice and plot points and all that kind of thing. But what you see overall is a stream of this kind of expectation, right? I don't like the word accountability, OK, because accountability says, like, I'm going to be responsible for you and I'm going to somehow punish you if you don't come through. Right. Accountability is a tough word, but expectation hmm. expectation says I stand on tiptoe, eager to see what you will achieve. I I can't hardly wait to see how this is going to come together. And so the example that you say, it was not uncommon for Lewis to listen for an hour or more to Tolkien reading a section of the draft of the Lord of the Rings, and then to simply say, Better, Tolkien, you can do better. And not giving him direction, not giving him advice, not giving him analysis, but I expect better from you. You know, you got more in you, as you say, and to be able to call one another forth in that way, but then to commit to companioning together in the process, right? So, okay, I'm gonna go back to that manuscript. I'm gonna work on that story a little bit more. If I get stuck, can I call you? If I get discouraged, can I text you? Yeah. Um, can, I, can I learn how to ask for what I need? Can I say, I just need a little bit of hope here. I just need a little bit, uh, I just need to know if there's anything about this that is working. <laughs> And if so, what is it? Because I can't see it right now. I just need a little bit of a suggestion about how I might negotiate this particular challenge. So we learn how to ask for what we want. Do I need a resonator? Do I need some encouragement? Do I need a little bit of pressure? Right. Um, The kind of pressure that says, "Okay, I'm going to call you on Tuesday and just check in to see how are you doing with that? What have you accomplished since we talked last Friday? Yeah. Right. I'm just gonna check in on you and just let me know how you're doing. Somehow, knowing that somebody's waiting can give us so much motivation to refocus our efforts and get things done, right? So, all of these different roles that people play in our lives now. One of the mistakes that people make in mastermind groups and other kinds of groups is putting all of their expectation in one basket. I have different friends who are particularly gifted at some of these different things. I know that if I want some detailed editing, I go to my friend Linda. If I want some general encouragement and spiritual counsel, I call Lynn. If I want somebody who's going to put that heart, that courage in me, I'm going to call Joe. If I want somebody who's going to like take my manuscript and slam it against the wall and really give me what for with every little mistake I've made, I know who to call for that. So I have to be thinking, what is my circle of support and how am I smart about identifying the right person for the right task in the right season of a project? And how am I smart about asking for what I want? So think about the seasons of a project, right? So somebody says, I just have this vague notion that I might have what it takes to write a book. Oh my goodness, the vulnerability of that moment, right? What do you want at a time like that? You want that gentle person who's gonna say, whoa, tell me, tell me what you're thinking. You don't want somebody that says, write a book. (laughs) You know, you, you got to be joking. you got to pick the right person who's going to nurture at the right time, right? But then there are times, okay, the book is written and you know it's not working. You know that there's something off. You need to give that to your most brutal critic, the person who's going to come at that and who's going to like really tell it to you straight, right? So I'll send an article to someone. I'll say, I don't know what's wrong, right? Hit me. And that person will say, well, you know, this, 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 oh, right, right. But then that key question to get me unstuck, thank you for that diagnosis. You're absolutely right. Those are problems. What can I try to get out of it? And here's the other thing. Sometimes someone will say, well, this is not this and it needs to be that. And I'll say, well, that's not the project that I'm writing, I can't. I'm not writing that. I'm writing this. Thank you for that feedback. And what I can do now is I can dig deeper to clarify what I was attempting, because obviously this person didn't hear what I was saying, right? So even advice, I think about that. This from the point of a, of an author. Even advice, it helps to clarify something about my audience, but it doesn't necessarily mean I have to take the advice. Right it does give me insight though into how people are perceiving or understanding the issue and that allows me to go back with my own vision and to clarify and to sharpen and to identify my audience in a different way as well
1: you talking literally diana about your personal circle of friends and you named off when i need this i go to this person need this i want to offer an analogy to the audience on this because i know a lot of them are sitting there going, that's great. I, I don't know where to find those people. And again, we have people who are so isolated. They're busy. They've got their, you know, immediate family, which let's just say it's a spouse and a kid. Okay. Yeah. And, and they may not be the right person uh, for this. Then you go to your work. That's very demanding. You spend a lot of time there and it's a lot of time yeah. of just head down oh, wow. and pencil up. Yeah. Yep. And you've got people there and they may not be the right people to collaborate as well. And you're going, I don't know, where do I go find this? <laughs> now, again, my point here isn't just to promote paid mastermind groups, but that is, I think, why people are going to those. And it reminds me of, you know, let's take ads for instance here on the podcast. Yes. So I have agencies that just come in and ask me, Hey, here's somebody who wants to advertise. Are you good with it? I just yes. respond. And that's, that's what it makes it easy. I don't have to go out looking for people. I pay for it though. I pay yeah. a percentage. My other option is to go out, create a team, and we go out and harvest those advertisers ourselves. I don't want to do that. So I just rely with an agency. So if you don't want to do a paid mastermind, your other option then is to go out and start connecting with people and propose a time, propose a place, propose qualifications, and be the facilitator and and take on that role. Do that. You could, you could do that. In essence, I mean, time is money, but no, no monetary cost. And if you want to do that, I think that is why we see the paid masterminds or whatever you want to call the paid group uh, uh, to go there. I mean, the Inklings did that by kind of qualifying each other, special yeah. invitation only, and they got on each other if they brought somebody who wasn't invited, and it was a an exclusive group. But somebody was there a primary facilitator?
0: Uh, the different members of the group played different role, <clears throat> excuse okay. me, the different members of the group played different roles. Right. Okay. And so Warren Lewis was sort of the host. He had the kind of like the warm hospitality gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people call CS Lewis, the gatekeeper. He kind of had an instinct or an impulse for who's one of the kind of people who's going to enhance our group. Yeah. You know, Charles Williams is often called the, you know, the agitator. Every group needs an agitator, somebody who tests the boundaries a little bit and keeps the energy Flowing right, and that people really kind of bounce off of. He he, um, uh, and Charles Williams was really great at that, so he was he was pretty radical. You know, um, when people read my books about the Inklings and they get to really understand something of the group, there's a a very common mistake that they make. They say, "I want to be an Inkling. I want to. I want to start an Inklings group." And so then they send flyers to every person that they know, and they get together this big group, and they cast a brilliant vision. And then they hope that through attrition, the right people will stay Hmm. and the group dynamic will grow. And that doesn't work. Hmm. That doesn't work. So if we want to really think like an inkling. uh, I have an epilogue to Bandersnatch, as you know, where I talk about some of the principles for how to start a group. But the first and most important hint in terms of how to start a group is to do what they did, and that is start small. So Lewis and Tolkien got to know each other through a book club. They were part of a book club. They read books together, right, in somebody's living room. When the book club ended, Lewis and Tolkien felt that there was a, a the kernel of a friendship there. They enjoyed one another's company. And they're very, very different, these two guys, very different in personality, in perspective, but passionate, both of them, about stories that involve What's sometimes called a mythopoeic or myth-making kind of component right. passionate about the same thing very different education training disciplines and personalities lewis being the extrovert tolkien being an introvert and the, it really a very very dynamic group so the group this book club ends and lewis and tolkien decide hey you know what this seems like a fruitful friendship or a potentially fruitful collaboration. How about if we start having lunch together one day a week? And so they do, and they do this regularly and they get to know one another better. They, they cultivate trust in one another. And then as they've been meeting week after week, Tolkien decides, hey, you know what? I've been working on this poem Maybe I should share it with Lewis and just see what he thinks. So he takes a risk. He invites Lewis into his own creative work, the rough draft of something that he's kind of been working on. Lewis responds first with encouragement, then with praise, then with recommendations. This could be even better. Why don't you try these things? And Tolkien goes, wow, this is great, because that's really helpful advice, right? And then Lewis says, oh, by the way, I've got some poetry that maybe you could read. And they start exchanging manuscripts. It's just two guys having lunch that then start sharing their vision with one another and then start speaking into each other's work. And both of them find, oh my goodness, I am much more productive in part because I have an audience who's interested and interest is like rocket fuel. But in part, because I know that every Monday morning, I'm gonna be beaten with this other guy and he's gonna ask me what I've been doing this week. Expectation, right? somebody who's there waiting on tiptoe to see well what you've been up to what you've been doing right and on weeks that are good they're able to encourage you into and, and to delight with you in the progress and in weeks that have been bad they can kind of pick you up and dust you off and throw you back into it the inklings grew from those two guys already establishing a kind of rhythm of interaction, finding it fruitful, and then very, very slowly inviting one other guy, then another guy, then another and so on until they reached a, a group of about 19 men who were part of the group, right? And, uh, and met for about 17 years, phenomenal. But it didn't start with a big vision. It started small and it's something any of us could do. We could start a book club. We could pick a book that's been intriguing to us. We could say, hey, for the next month, you want to get together for coffee four times and talk about what we're learning from this book. If that seems to be going well, do you want to continue to get together for coffee? Talk more about what we're doing, what we're up to. So it starts small. It grows slow. It has a regular rhythm of meetings attendance uh, at groups like this work best when they're sort of flexible, right? It's not really rigid. Uh, And these things then grow organically. And some of the greatest friendships that have led to some of the greatest breakthroughs have started with just people putting time aside just a little bit, coffee time, a lunch time, a dinner time, an after dinner meeting to just meet regularly and talk about what they're up to and what their dreams are.
1: To some of what you're talking about now the inklings, these are guys writing books. And in that I can see that they don't necessarily feel competitive from a marketplace. Like, Oh my gosh, if I help so-and-so sell uh, a million books, maybe those people won't now buy my book. I don't think that 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 doesn't, we don't tend to relate that, but if we're looking at our professions, our careers, our businesses, the thought of coming together. If we were really to come together in at least one group that was real, let's say that I own a service industry, Heck, let's say I own a carpet cleaning business. I mean, where's my best counsel going to come from to agree other carpet cleaners. And Mm -hmm. if we're in the same town, so you're in LA, if I'm in LA, um, You know, ultimately we're we're talking about a prosperity mentality or a scarcity mentality. Totally. Perfect. And and if I come together, so I'm in a small town, there's, I don't know, 3,500 households or something and 7,000 or something within the city limits. But I think overall we have about 20,000 people. And it's interesting in this little town, we have, I think, five coffee shops. Sometimes I look at that and go, how do we support (laughs) that much, that much coffee. And the thought of them coming together as coffee shop owners, you know, to have coffee together and say, Hey, let's collaborate is the, I I don't think we tend to do that. We tend to think of that as being scarce, but if we help all of us get better, are we going to then help or is somebody just going to get it a little writer and all of a sudden, boom, everybody's going to go funnel to their coffee shop. And I just helped that person beat me out and I went out of business. We don't but I, I know it it is. It's it's laughable yeah. if we take it in cap take it captive like that. But I I'm concerned that we do have some of that feeling of yeah. is there a danger? Am I is there a threat if I come together and share my best and invest in somebody who's in a similar arena? Like we've got a lot of coaches in this yeah. group. And if we were to come together and share what's working and what's not, ask for feedback as coaches. Are we taking away then, are we giving away somebody, giving them benefit that now is going to take away from us, scarcity mentality, or can we trust, but I don't think we have to, you've done the research. You've said, no, it, this is what it adds up to. Can I, is that fair to say prosperity?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I told, it totally has, uh, depends on how we look at it and you're exactly right. We tend to have a scarcity model or we tend to have an abundance model. Yeah. Right. And so with your example of the coffee shop owners, you know, Owning a business is hard, and it's lonesome, and it's frustrating, and sometimes it's just stinking terrifying. So the impulse might be for someone to say, hey, how about if I got the whole circuit of the five coffee shop owners together and we did a thing, right? Mm-mm-mm-mm, remember, start small. So which one of those other coffee shop owners is has a business model and a value system most similar to yours? And who comes at it from a different point of view. Maybe they're a different age, right? That could be really powerful. If I'm an older, more seasoned business owner, there's a young upstart in my neighborhood. Maybe we need each other Mm -hmm. because that brings a brand new perspective. And maybe I just say, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. I'd like to understand your business better. And I'd like to help just, you know, kind of um, uh, just let's start talking about what might be possible, what we can learn from each other. Right. So you get together and you, and you kind of decide there's a good energy here. It's synergistic. Right. We learn from each other. We're energized by this time. Right. The, the sure sign of a successful partnership. Whether that's two people or a larger group, the sure sign of success is you leave there and you feel like you could fly. You have possibilities that you never imagined. You feel energized and excited and equipped to do the next thing on your plate. So you get together, just the two of you, and you say, "Well, this is this is kind of how I see my little niche, and this is how maybe yours is. And what about trying this? And I found this, and here's this supplier, and you know, so you start maybe sharing some resources." You do that slowly and you see how it goes. Um, Is it something that then starts tending toward exploitation Mm. or is it something then that tends toward greater fruitfulness and greater success for both, right? And you say, wow, that's, um, you know, this is really going in a good direction. How about we invite one more person? and see whether that helps or it hurts. And you just try it out. Hey, you know, a couple of us are getting together for coffee. You wanna join us one time. And you just kind of, you just slowly, and they you no, nope, nope, That person has a different kind of vision. That person has a different kind of energy, not a good fit. So we'll go back to just the two of us. And then maybe we find out, okay, there's, in addition to the two, uh, you know, coffee shops, there's also a restaurant owner who seems to be sort of on the same page in terms of our value system, right? Maybe we should like get them into this. So you start with these small little clusters, you grow slowly, and that can make all the difference, right? Then everyone isn't kind of paddling their own boat, We get other people who are working together that make our burden lighter, right? Scripture talks sometimes about the idea of bearing one another's burdens. And I believe that can be a very practical thing, you know, as we think about what are the tasks that energize you but drain me? How about if you do more of the things that bring you joy? I do more of the things that bring me joy. And by working together, the burden becomes lighter. But there's also that. I almost want to call it magic that happens when we find another person who understands what we're going through. Yeah. Who can I who who you know, we say this is what happened this week, and they go, Yeah, I have so been there. I get it, right? That's that resonator. I get it. I've been there, you know, and it's not so much about advice in that case, although advice is terrific, but fundamentally. We are hardwired for connection, for people who hear our hearts and who just are able to kind of um, be with us in the midst of good times and hard times. We need each other. And the impulse of this culture to divide and isolate us is so counterproductive to how we're designed.
1: There you go, friends. Diana Pavlak Glyer, author of Bandersnatch. Uh, I had more to discuss with her, so we recorded a part two session together, which you can find in Ziegler Show episode 941. Uh, and once again, I invite you to see what I put together in the flavor of the Inklings at DrivenCouncil.com. Coming up in episode 940, Tom Ziegler and I take a well-known quote by Napoleon Hill. Uh, We take it to task, actually, in regards to him saying we have absolute control over our thoughts. We have emotions and feelings we can't control, and they often become our thoughts. The hope is we can be working out to be more in control of our thoughts, but it's a long and difficult process. This is the essence of the show. Till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.